Let us pray. Holy Spirit of God, enter our hearts this day and fill us with your love. Speak to each of us the word that we need and let thy word abide with us. Direct and increase our faith and grant that we, by our worship this morning, may be enabled to see thee more clearly, to love thee more fully, and to serve thee more faithfully in the fashion of thy Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. A reading from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. Keep these words that I am commanding you today in your heart. And continuing on in the book of Matthew. Chapter 22. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? He said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And a second is like it You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. The word of the Lord. I'm delighted to be the worship leader this morning. This is the fourth year in a row for our consistory to be on retreat. And since they're not at Camp Fowler right now, I'd like to thank Pastor Garrett for not canceling his invitation for me <laughs> <laughs> to be the preacher today. Absolutely no <laughs> I want to speak this morning about what it means to be Christian today. in this time and place, and what it means to be Christian any time or any place. What's it all about being Christian? Traditionally or historically, it's been a very complicated answer. It's had to do with getting our beliefs right, having the right belief. I'll give you a short list of some examples of what I mean it will not be important to remember any of these. In 1054, the Western Church and the Eastern Church split. This is called the Great Schism, when the Roman Catholic and the Eastern Orthodox Church formed separate branches of Christianity. This resulted from an argument over a theological issue, the inner life of the Trinity, 
Does the Holy Spirit emanate from the Father or from the Father and the Son? The Eastern Church says the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Western Church says from the Father and the Son. Over this, the church split. The Bishop of Constantinople, now called Istanbul in Turkey, excommunicated the Bishop of Rome and the Bishop of Rome or the Pope excommunicated the Bishop of Constantinople. Tell me, how the heck could they know anything about that? <laughs> Let me give you another example. In the 1600s, there was a debate between the supralapsarians and the infralapsarians. This was in the Church of the Netherlands in Holland, where the Dutch Reformed Church has its origins. Let me explain. The supralapsarians believed that God decided to send a Messiah before the fall because he knew a Messiah would be needed. So we hear about the pre-existence of Christ, even before creation. The infralapsarians believed that God sent a Messiah after the fall because it was only then necessary. Each side believed the other's understanding was deficient and so the church split. Another controversy in the church has been over the question of whether perfection is possible in this life. Historically, Methodists have said yes. They have introduced the concept of sanctification. The Lutherans, on the other hand, say, we are always sinful, yet justified. Sinners, but right. Or sinners, yes, but we have it right. Another dispute among Protestants is over infant baptism versus adult baptism. I have not thought this has been a huge problem or issue anymore, but we recently learned that uh, people, that friends of our, our son Adam are planning to join his church because the church they have been attending will not do infant baptism. <coughs> is this an issue that should divide us? Is this an obstacle or barrier to Christian unity? In the history of the church, we've often thought that being Christian means having the right beliefs and that we're in trouble if we have the wrong beliefs. Or I should say, you're in trouble if you have the wrong beliefs. Another example, in the summer of 1865 in North Carolina, a Baptist from a mountain village was on an errand visiting near Raleigh. He saw this most amazing machine, an ice-making machine. What a marvelous, fantastic invention. You will not have to bury ice under the ground and under straw in the summer, so you could have ice in your mint juleps in the summer. <laughs> when he went back home to Western Carolina, he told all about his discovery. This led, led to a split of the congregation. The issue was, did the making of artificial ice interfere with the natural order of creation, or the creation established by God? 
the making of ice by God. This resulted in the ice and the no ice Baptists. <laughs> Today we have the right beliefs. To have the right beliefs seems to be a very complicated affair. It's so vitally important to go, is it so vitally important to go down that road? So what's it really all about, really? I think the answer is very simple, even breathtakingly simple. I will try to put this in three statements which I believe constitutes the heart of Christianity. Number one, being Christians about loving God and loving what God loves. The classic Jewish affirmation of faith is from Deuteronomy 6, 5 and 6. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Keep these words that I am commanding you today in your heart. And what does God love? We read in John 3:16, For God so loved the world. For God so loved the world, not just you, not just me, or us, or us Christians, not even just human beings, but the world. And we are to love the world as God loves the world. And the rest of it is to love your neighbor as yourself. Why? Because God loves the neighbor Jesus quotes the great commandment, Matthew 22, 36 to 40. Upon these two commandments rest all the law and the prophets. The whole canon of the church, of the whole Jewish Bible, in the time of Jesus, is what Jesus is referring to when he says, on these two commandments hangs the whole of scripture. Number two, it's about how we become the kind of person who loves God and loves what God loves. It basically comes down to the fact that we need transformation. It's all about a way or a path. A way of life. Like all the other major religions, it's not a set of beliefs, but a way or a path. It's about becoming more and more deeply centered in God, in the God who is known decisively in Jesus. Christian practice is how we pay attention to our relationship with God, how we deepen our centering in God, how do relationships grow? Don't we have to spend time together? Get to know each other? How do we pay attention to our relationship with God? Do we create opportunities for prayer, for Bible study, for religious education? In the professions, we have religious education. I mean, we have required continuing education. Do we have anything like that in our Christian education, our spiritual growth and development, 
our spiritual formation. There are many other forms of Christian practice. The most important is to be part of a congregation that nourishes you even as it stretches you. How often have you heard people say, I'm spiritual, I don't have to be a member of organized religion, or I can commune with God through nature. We have seen our society go from being religious to being spiritual. For many years, I was a member of the American Psychiatric Association Committee on Psychiatry and Religion. But eventually, in the 1970s, we changed the name to the Committee on Psychiatry, Religion, and Spirituality. I have noted that bookstores that had a religion section now have a section labeled Spirituality. Recently, I heard of a bookstore that had a section labeled Spirit, just Spirit. I'm sure you have heard of the rise of the nuns, N-O-N-E-S, those who say they have no religious affiliation. One in five adults have no religious affiliation. The number of nuns grows, grown from 15% in 2007 to 26% today. Most nuns are neither atheist nor agnostic, but rather, quote, nothing in particular, unquote. This may reflect a rejection of institutional failings rather than an abandonment of religion as such. To reinstate my second point, we need a path. We need transformation, a way of life. Number three, being Christians about living within the Christian tradition as a means of loving God and loving what God loves. What do I mean by this? Becoming immersed in the Bible, the history, the wisdom, the beauty, the art, the architecture and music of the Christian tradition. An example of living within the tradition would be the experience of Christian congregational worship. In worship, we internalize the tradition through liturgy, hymns, scripture reading, and preaching. Let me repeat, preaching. The tradition is one of the means of the Holy Spirit doing its work. We are being formed, our identities, by the tradition how are we being reformed by the Christian tradition? How can we avoid getting stuck in tradition? Even though our name is the Reformed Church in America, are we still open to being reformed? We have been shaped by the music of our tradition. One of the favorite things congregations like to do is have hymn sings. Praise band music these days may be contemporary, but the contemporary music of today may be the tradition of tomorrow. We're not only formed by the tradition, but shaped and being formed and reshaped. We all need transforming and shaping. 
This is in contrast to the modern Western cultural values, which are different and often antithetical to the values of Christian faith. The Christian community is a community of re-socialization. We all need this, not being alone in nature only. It's been said that one of the greatest challenges for the church today is the theological or religious re-education of the laity. Another way of putting this is that Christian practice is about walking with God, becoming kind, and doing justice. It's not about believing in God and being a good person. It's about how one becomes a good person through the practice of loving God. What's it all about? Loving God, one, loving what God loves, and two, becoming what we need to be by living in Christian community, past and present, and three, about getting, entering this process and living within, within the tradition, within this process, within tradition, and a process that allows revision and reform. When you come down to it, all three points have to be all about positive passion. All three points have to be heartfelt. Without positive passion, all of this will just remain intellectual without being grounded emotionally. We may, we may not often think or feel that about going to church services, for example. Do we think about going to church in terms of it being dull or being exciting? What did the youth say? I think this is an illuminating way to think about it. Our passion for God, our hunger and thirst for God, which I think is always there. Augustine said it, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you, even if this is unconscious. We all want a fuller connection to what is. We want to be in tune with ultimate reality, the ground of being. It's also about God's passion for the world. What is God's passion about? God's passionate about the world. He saw it and it was good. In John 3.16 we read about how much he loved the world. God's passion is the world of justice and peace where everybody has enough, not from charity, but from justice, a world where there is no more war, where instruments of war become instruments of agriculture. It's about our participation in God's passion. And this, I believe, corresponds to our deepest yearnings as humans, our best moments in our lives, or when we are fully connected to what is around us, to what is. The yearning for God, the sacred, and the world be a better place, a better place for our children and grandchildren, for all human beings.
It's a deep yearning. The gospel addresses these deepest yearnings. This is the good news. This is the invitation to the Christian life, and it is very simple. Love God and love what God loves.